From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Rodriguez going to drive. Rodriguez puts it off the glass and in. Nice play by Luis. Harkless, long way from the basket with 10. Harkless into the lane. Harkless, 13-foot jumper. Nice shot by E.J. Harkless. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. So we're getting ready for a big UNLV basketball game tonight. Uh, Curtis Terry is here in Dana Point, California. SoCal Challenge championship game is up tonight on ESPN Las Vegas with a 7.30 tip. So 5-0 start. This is pretty impressive. About what you expected or are you surprised? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I'm pleased by the effort of which this group has come together and they've, they've played on the court. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're 5-0. I think, think that maybe the biggest surprise coming into it would be the Dayton game, obviously. I think everybody was kind of unsure what, what we would do against a top 25 team um, and a team that just had so much size. Uh, but I think that the Rebels have played really well, especially on defense. Um, they're, they're controlling that end of the floor, and I don't think it's a secret. Everybody has seen that and, and kind of taken notice of that. Uh, but now, I mean... What we've seen, and especially the other night in that game, it's 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 making me raise my expectations for this group and what they can do, um, not just in tonight's game against Minnesota, but moving forward for the for the rest of the non-conference season. Curtis Terry's with us, a former Rebel, and of course one of the voices on radio of the Running Rebels, and one of the co-hosts of the uh, Kevin Kruger Radio Show. Which, by the way, not on this week because the team is in California. So so far, the defensive numbers are insane. The Rebels have risen all the way up to number thirty-seven in the country in Ken Palm on defense they've got five straight games now of causing 20 plus turnovers that's nothing to sneeze at those are insane numbers why do teams seem to come in and almost be unprepared for the kind of defense that the rebels are playing like at some point you would think a team would be able to clean it up and not i mean 20 turnovers plus is insane it's nuts i mean right now i mean i've looked at the numbers i mean they forced 118 turnovers in five games i mean that's 20 23.6 a game that they're forcing um that's unheard of to be able to do that consistently, I don't, I don't care who the opponent is, but they've been doing it against Dayton. They did it against um, Southern Illinois. Um, it, it can, and Coach Kevin Kruger mentioned this on the radio show last week, and like in terms of being able to prepare for an opponent, and I think this is the very same way as in football. Like You can't simulate somebody's speed in football, right? Um, you can't simulate somebody's size. Like You can't simulate in practice like preparing for a, a team against Dayton. That's I mean, six, eight across the front line um, and, and their guards. Like It's... It's hard to prepare for those types of things. So I think in, in that same essence, it's hard to prepare for a team that um, is physical with their guards, they're as fast, um, and such good on-ball defenders. Like you just you think, okay, they're going to play fast and aggressive. They're quick. They can slide their feet. You, okay, yeah, we hear you, coach. We, but you can't prepare for it. Like you can't scout against it um, with your scout team in practice. So I think that's the biggest thing in terms of teams. I think they've, they've kind of maybe figured out. Like Southern Illinois looked like they thought they figured it out the first seven or eight minutes. And I'm sitting there telling John, I'm like, it's going to wear on them. Eventually, they're going to be like, oh, gosh, they're still here. And they got, they got, they go into the bench. They got played 10 guys. And like, then you're in trouble because you get to the end of the game and you're tired. You don't know what to do. And those small kind of mental mistakes start to come out. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Teams can't prepare for it, but also it's not just one guy. They literally have five guys on the court at any given time, especially with David and Vic, that can slide their feet and guard the ball, whether it's a point guard or a wing. So I think that that's really causes teams a lot of trouble. And you can see growth even within the season because in that Southern game, they came out, they played like just in just super intense defense for about eight minutes. And then they actually did let down a little bit. Right. Now they're getting to the point where they're not really much of a, a letdown. The other thing is if you look at 
if you're the opposition, you look at a team that's causing 23.6 turnovers a game, you're like, okay, let's get ready for the press. Right. They're doing this without <laughs> full court pressing. Yeah, no, it's not a press. I mean, I think there was maybe three instances against Southern Illinois where they, they set up like in a token three-quarter court zone press, but that was just to, to hey, we're just here. But then what they're doing is once you get the ball in, I mean, pick your poison. Who do you want to bring it up against? If it's if it's Eli Parquet, if it's Luis Rodriguez, even if it's EJ Harkless, I mean, and definitely if Keyshawn Gilbert. Like, you don't want to bring the ball up against any of those guys one-on-one. And that's what teams are having to do. And then they switch everything so you can't you can't avoid it. You can't get away from it because it's a switch. And now the other guy's guarding you. Switch back, the other guy's guarding you. So, again, you can't avoid it. But it's just hard-nosed, full-court, man-to-man defense. There are going to be games this season, though, for the Run Rebels, and it's Cofield and company. We're talking to Curtis Terry, where they're going to have to score 65, 70, 75 points. Yeah. So they, they've done it a couple of times, but against better competition, which means that the offense does need to get going yeah. across the board. Um, I thought it was really important the other night for Luis Rodriguez to finally get some confidence. Mm-hmm. He came out of the gates 1 of 16 from 3. Yeah. He's got a history where he shoots a 3 decently, probably down 32, 33%. But like I kept saying to you, like I see the stroke. Mm-hmm. So he finally got it going. How big is that for a player when you, especially when out of, out of the gates at the start of the season, you're not hitting anything? Yeah, I think it's huge, especially for him because he he's going to be relied upon this year. And I think, I mean, Coach Kevin Kruger mentioned that he thinks he can play at the next level. Thinks he can play in the NBA. He's got the body for sure. He's got to be able to knock down that consistent shot. But I think for UNLV to really take that next step as a team, Luis is going to have to knock down threes. Keyshawn's going to have to continue to be able to attack and knock down that open shot that, that he's proven to be able to do. But Eli Parquet's going to have to do the same as well. And so I think they're kind of the same player. Obviously, defensively, they're nightmares for anybody. But I think they both can, can knock it down consistently enough to be able to get that respect from the opponent. And then when they do, teams close out. Then that's when they lose use their athleticism. They're getting to the basket and they're going to finish at the rim. Um, but I think he's a guy that it really it opens things up when he was able to knock down shots because then you got him, you had EJ, and you had Keyshawn going. And it's hard when you have three guards that are going and the other guys are playing defense, rebounding, or flying around at any point can, can be, make a basket cut or a backdoor cut. So I think it was huge for, for Luis to get going, to see the ball go through the basket because he's a very confident kid. But you could see that he, after the game, like there was just a different shine in his eyes that he was able to, to make some baskets in front of some family that was there because he's a California guy. So it was nice to be able to see him add, add to the mix. Are you surprised by the advances of Keyshawn Gilbert offensively? He's been pretty consistent. He's right. hitting his free throws, but he's also scoring – at all different levels. He can hit the three now. He's right. been surprisingly good from three. He's also got a mid-range game and that runner. And then in this last game, I mean, he just went – he was hellacious crashing to the basket and finishing. Yeah, no, it's – it's. And I mentioned this to John on the air again uh, for the last game. It's Last year, we, we didn't even think to be able to see anything like this from Keyshawn. He was coming in, and it was all just defense, defense, defense. And if he was open, he maybe would shoot the ball. But there was no confidence in that shot. He has put in the most work that I've seen, I mean, back since since the Joel Anthony days in terms of like in the offseason, just like, I'm going to get better. He is he is just night and day in terms of offensively what he can do. Obviously, in high school, he was quicker, more athletic than a lot of guys. Uh, but now he's able to, to create off the bounce. He's able to get his teammates open. He's doing a much better job even game by game running the offense and knowing when to push, when to when to pull back. Even though he had some issues with the ball um, in, a, in a few turnovers the other day, um, I, I think that was – and not to make excuses, I think that had a lot to do with the basketball that they're using. Um, it's much different than what the Rebels use, but I think he's a guy that where his offensive game has it's cottoned up to his defensive game, and now he's so confident to be able to step out and shoot the three. He's confident to get to the basket. His handle is so much tighter. He's become a complete player, and he's grown in height over the offseason. So again, I think what he's done um, just all around as a player and putting in that work in the gym, it's it's paying off and it's showing off. Uh, but I think, again, it's, it's going to be a big season for him. But he's a guy that he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, but he likes to get back in the gym and continue to work and build on what he's done. Now he has an adjustment to make tonight, though. That crashing of the hoop thing, yeah. I don't think he's going to be there a whole lot because 
Minnesota, unlike Southern Illinois, yeah. has five guys who are six seven or bigger, and right. a lot of them are six ten, six eleven. So can he adjust his game where, hey, a couple of drives here and there, maybe drive and kick, make sure right. you come up short where you're not charging because I, there's, they have some rim protectors here. Yeah, it's going to be different. He's still going to have to be aggressive because I think he'll still be able to, to beat his man off the dribble. Uh, I think he'll be able to get in the paint, but then it's what do you do on that second-level read? I mean, if, if the big guys come up, you're not going to be able to get to the rim and finish like you were against Southern Illinois just because they have the size. Um, you're not necessarily going to be able to finish over them because, they're, again, they're a lot bigger. But is he going to be able to make the right read, whether it's a dump down or a dish off to your big, if it's a kick out to your strong side shooter, or if it's a kick out to your weak side shooter? He's going to have to be able to spray and find shooters tonight, um, but then the guys are going to have to knock down those shots, and they're going to have to be able to do that from an early onset of the game. Um, again, they did it later in the game um, on Monday night, but they're going to have to be able to knock down shots early to be able to keep this team at bay because if they can knock down those outside shots early, then Minnesota's going to have to change their game plan. They're going to have to cover and, sh- and close out a lot harder, and I think that's where is going to get the advantage because those guys are really, really good off the bounce getting to the basket. Curtis Terry's with us here in California. We're getting ready for a UNLV game tonight, 7.30 tip on ESPN Las Vegas. He's going to be heading over to the arena in just a little bit. So let's break down Minnesota a little more here. Yeah. Uh, they're big. They also play really slow. They're 357 in pace out of 383 right. in the country, according to Ken Palm. What do you do against a team like this? to speed it up or do they want to speed it up or is UNLV comfy going you know maybe this game is going to be played in the 40s you know I think well I think we've seen that UNLV is comfortable playing a game where it's low scoring because right. they're hey well we don't have to worry as much to, to score as many baskets um, but I think UNLV is going to try to speed them up because you don't want to play in a half court sense with this type of team because they're just so much bigger eventually you're going to get in foul trouble um, and if the Rebels get in foul trouble at the wrong position being point guard and bigs then they're going to have an issue um, but I think they're going to be able to do, to do a good job to, to be able to speed these guys up again with just their full court man-to-man defense. And especially when these guys get it on the wings, uh, like Jameson Battle, obviously, is a guy on the wing. He's just coming back. I think his first game back was, was the other night against High Point. Um, no, against um, – Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist, excuse me. Um, and so in, in that sense, that was his first game back. Is he going to be bothering with some, some foot soreness? I mean, so you're, you're going to have to be able to pick up those guys on the wing. And these are big guys that they're, that they're guarding. Um, and so they're going to have to try to speed them up, turn them over, make them plays off the bounce, kind of like they did with Dayton. Dayton was long, big, but they weren't very athletic and shifty off the bounce from their wings. So they're going to have to be able to try to make that advantage, um, something that they can put in their back pocket, to try to speed these guys up. Again, forcing a lot of turnovers is going to work well for the Rebels, but I think that they're at their best when they can get in the open court. It doesn't have to be in the open court and finishing to the basket every time, but getting in the open court and making these guys run up and down the court, spread the floor, and then getting your advantage, driving kicks, finishes, getting to the foul line. So this has been fun to watch. The defense get better, get cohesion. The offense develop some flow, mm-hmm. and who's going to be the alphas? Right. The other thing that I don't think is talked about a whole lot is the development of the coaching staff. Right. It is really rare for a head coach to lose all of his assistants, <laughs> his top three assistants. And yeah. you, know, you see these guys coming together, and you pointed it out really nicely during the broadcast, and Curtis Terry's with us, that they made a change on the offensive end mm-hmm. to basically force – SIU's best player right. to play more defense. And as Kevin Kruger described it after the game, it was basically, um, you know, more guard right. uh, picks. He didn't want to point out that he was going after Marcus Damascus. Right. But what you see out there that, you know, showed, hey, this staff is together, they made a really good change. Um, I, well, I think, first of all, the, the thing about this staff, they're, and again, Coach, I mean, Coach Kevin Kruger, his last, the, the guys he had last year, the guys he has this year, they're all, they're very good people. They're very social. I mean, they, they all get along very well off the court. They interact with everybody in the travel party very well. Um, but they all have a lot of experience, and it's within different levels of the game, and they all have different aspects in which they're really good at. Obviously, whether it's recruiting, offense, defense. Um, 
But I, I do, and I want to go against what Coach Kevin Kruger said. I think he, per, me personally, I think he was trying to pick on Damask for sure, hundred percent, because that's the same type of stuff that Lon used to do. Like you, he used to see it, smell some blood, see some blood. He's going to keep going after it, um, and I think that was the right move for them. I think that they're going to continue to find the right opportunities, um, but I think they do a good job of of identifying what they see and relaying that to Kevin. And Kevin's he's very cerebral when it comes to the basketball game. He understands it. He's great after timeouts or coming out of timeouts, X's and O's, or at the end of halves or at the end of games. And I think it's a situation where they're going to continue to find something that works for them. They're going to keep going back to it. I mean, it's, it's just like in any other sport. If you find something that's working, you're going to keep going back to it until the well runs dry. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So I think that's a matter of what they're going to continue to do. Um, but they do a very good job of identifying something that works. And if it works, they're going to keep coming back to it until they can't anymore and then try to make another adjustment. Um, but I think that was that was a prime example of Kevin saying, that's really working for us. Plus, on the other end, he's going to be too tired to attack and make plays. And we saw that exactly. Damask was just didn't have enough in the tank to make the right read or play or be as aggressive in the second half as he was in the first half on Monday night. Last one for Curtis Terry. This is just my observation with Kevin Kruger. He seems to be a little more serious this year. I don't know if the mentality's changed. Yeah. Like, hey, it's go time. It's the second year. You know, I've now I'm I'm feeling myself as a head coach. Yeah. What do you think? Is he the same guy, or am I just mis- uh, I, I, kind of misjudging his demeanor? No, I think he's more comfortable within who he is as a head coach right now. I think last year Kevin was – I mean, I think all of us were like, oh, he actually got the job, which is great. I think he deserved it. But I think it was kind of like, okay, now I have to prove to people. I think there was a lot of that from my perspective. I think he was trying to prove people that he deserved the job, that he would make the right calls or do the right things, hire the right coaches, recruit the right players. I think now, I don't, in a good way, I don't think he cares what anybody else thinks. And I think that's the biggest thing as a coach. You have to commit to your game plan and whatever it is and ride it till the brakes fall off. And I think Kevin has understood that. And he says, hey, if we good or bad, we're going to go down. I'm the captain of the ship, and I'm going to make the calls. And I think he's comfortable and confident in what he's doing, um, and he's finding his own voice. And I think that's huge because he believes it, his coaches believe it, his staff believes it. And I think everybody around town in Las Vegas is starting to say, hey, He's the coach. Like, there's no question about if he's making the calls on offense or defense. Um, and I genuinely believe that. I like Kevin, but I think Kevin's just more confident in who he is in his role as the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels. All right, Curtis. I'll see you in a little bit at the arena. It should be fun. There he is, Curtis Terry. Coming up, we'll get to uh, some big changes around the NFL. A, a wacky lead-in week to uh, Thanksgiving week in the National Football League. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. No, no, no. Our game point. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to do it. Well, first it starts with stopping the run. That's what you want to try to do because if they could do both run and pass and feel comfortable about that, then you start overplaying for the run, then they run behind you. And then from there, trying to do what you think is best to take away their top weapons. We're in the beginning stages of getting the game plan together. So right now the answer would be stay deep, but I'm sure we'll have some more off of that. <laughs> now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. A lot more smiles, some joking now that the Raiders uh, got out of that losing streak, finally won their third game of the season. Can they stop Geno Smith? Boy, I never thought I'd be saying that about uh, the 11th game of the season for the Raiders. Geno, of course, a former Raider. Uh, check that former Jet. Candy, uh, latest update on Zach Wilson losing his job for this week. Uh, about an hour ago, Schefter reports that Zach Wilson spoke to the entire Jets team today, admitting he botched Sunday's postgame. pardon me, the one in which he refused to take accountability for his poor performance in a loss to the Patriots. 
blah, 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 blah. I know you pointed out earlier that he should be losing his job for poor play. I, I think this whole he didn't take accountability thing is so typical New York story. Who cares? And I also don't believe that in the locker room, this one move of not taking accountability, because you know what happens with athletes when someone, you know, when someone asks them, hey, you know, do you feel like you let the defense down? A lot of guys are going to puff out their chest and just say no. It doesn't mean they mean it. So this, the, that whole post-game press conference has been blown out of proportion. This is such a dumb story. It's absolutely a dumb story, but that's what makes it more interesting, right? I know that sounds <laughs> counterintuitive, but because it's so stupid. I mean, this is like Giannis in the ladder. This is just dumb, but it's entertaining because it's so dumb. Uh, Robert Sala actually added a little fuel to the fire when I think he was trying to calm it down when he described Zach Wilson's reaction, right? He said that Zach Wilson's immediate reaction to being told he wasn't going to play was, quote, why me? I want to play. Why me? And that's something that he said today. So I don't care what he went in the locker room and told the team. His head coach put him on blast in front of reporters, and I don't even know if it was intentional by Robert Sala. I think he was trying to say, well, Zach wants to play. He wants to be out there. Yeah. Why me? That's not, how it's, not, that's not how it's taken. And, you know, while we rip Zach Wilson in front of the media and being immature, Robert Sala's got some work to do here because he's got to realize what market he's in and how careful he needs to be with his words. And he has done a good job leading a team that I don't think is very good to believing that it can be in playoff contention. But, man, he's got to watch himself as well. Cofield and Company is broadcasting live at Twin Peaks and Henderson for Monday Night Football. Join us every Monday from 2 to 5 p.m. From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Becoming a holiday classic right here on Cofield and Company. We're actually live in Vegas and in Dana Point, California. Uh, lots of UNLV content coming up. We just had a great conversation there with Curtis Terry, who's uh, getting on the bus to go over to the arena for Minnesota and UNLV in a little over half an hour. Marcus Arroyo radio show is uh, live here on ESPN Las Vegas with Caleb Herring. And Russ Langer, I want to remind you, uh, if you want a great holiday gift, you got to go up to lvsportsnetwork.com. You can win $15,000. That could be a rent or mortgage for a year, courtesy of ESPN Las Vegas. And Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, coming together to uh, put up $15,000 to help cover your rent or mortgage. And all you got to do, you got to be 18 or over, and you enter on lvsportsnetwork.com. Thanks to Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, you guys have a chance to win $15,000. All right, Thanksgiving football on the way, Candy. I know your Giants are incredibly beat up, and that includes on the line and a wide receiver. Fighting chance here, nine and a half against the Cowboys? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> and it's more okay. about the injuries than it is about my Giants pessimism. Uh, you mentioned the injuries wide receiver, Wandale Robinson's out for the year. You mentioned on the line, both Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal are on the injury report. So that's both starting tackles against a team that might be a little good on the pass rush. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are banged up on defense, too. But if you remember the first time these teams got together earlier this year, Cowboys won 23-16 in New York. 
Daniel Jones was sacked five times and Micah Parsons ate Evan Neal alive. So that alone makes me believe that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be able to dominate the New York Giants offense. And that takes away any chance they have of pulling an upset. And history doesn't matter. Not enough of a sample or this is just such a weird ISO spot. Cowboys are one in 10 ATS on Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble with different rosters. I don't care. <laughs> so we were just talking about Robert Sala maybe making a bold move. I actually kind of hate it with Zach Wilson. I don't think the Jets are a playoff team. I don't care if they sneak in and get blown out of the playoffs. I'd rather see them get their answer on Zach Wilson and just plan the rest of the way. And if they lose games, I guess the risk is they could lose the rest of the locker room. I think this whole thing's been overplayed. But anyway, um, is anyone going to ask? Just because time seemed to be okay for the Patriots, why is Mac Jones playing? He's been consistently below average now for a while. You escaped last week because of a miracle punt return. Bottom line is the offense stunk. I, I th Man, I, I don't get the betting market on this one with the Vikings and the Patriots tomorrow. I've already played against it. Uh, Minnesota two and a half feels like exactly the right spot because of the fact that Mac Jones, Taylor Heineke, Zach Wilson, by pro football focus grade, the three worst quarterbacks in the league this year. And in both of those games between the Patriots and the Jets, Mac Jones was horrible. It's just that Zach Wilson was beyond horrible. But I think the difference for the Patriots and why Mac Jones is playing and why you should be playing Mac Jones right now is that Mac Jones has given you what Zach Wilson hasn't, which is at least a little bit of daylight. He gave you at least a little bit through the first eight games of last year where you believed maybe this guy's the answer. And then the last 10 games have been awful. So at least he's given you something to believe in where Zach Wilson has given you nothing. The other game, the Bills and the Lions, Lions going to stay competitive or just lay another egg on Thanksgiving? They're healthy on offense. I think they'll be able to score. I, I think if you're looking at this game, you're looking over more, more than anything else. I'm, uh, the Bills defense has been a little vulnerable with some of the injuries they have in the linebacking core and in the secondary. So uh, right now, Detroit has been one of the best EPA per play teams over the last month, and I have no reason to believe that will stop. Am I betting the Raiders or the Seahawks? I actually I know I'm against a lot of people here. I love Seahawks here. I love, love, love Seahawks minus three and a half. All right, we come back in just a few. We're going to bring in our college football insider, Michael Felder. He'll uh, look at all the big games of the weekend and some of those coaching rumors as well. You can find him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Today after Cofield and Company, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Time to break down some college football. This is a massive weekend, and uh, Michael Felder, nice enough to free up some time a day early. We usually do the uh, spots on Thursday. Mike is in with Cofield and company. All right, well, let's get into the most important thing in this conversation. I usually save it for the end, but uh, Thanksgiving, and I really mean he squeezed us in. What do you got going on for Thanksgiving? Because you are chef extraordinaire. Oh, man. I So, listen, I'm just a home cook, but we got my cornbread. Like, once I get off this call, I've got one more um, – work thing to do in terms of doing some more sports and there are two more, but I'm, I'm going to be, I've got my fryer station set up outside. Cause I got to fry two, two turkeys. Cause I got a couple people that are going to come and pick those up. I'm going to fry another turkey tomorrow. Um, and I'm going to fry two turkeys tomorrow. I'm going to fry one. My dad's going to fry one and we're going to fry turkeys together, father and son, which is going to be pretty fun. 
But right now, tonight, or today, this afternoon, I am going to be, I've got my cornbread ready to go with my turkey stock that I made on Monday so we can make our dressing. We've got the mashed potatoes getting ready to go in the bowl. And of course, we're going to get those, those the cavit. By the way, if you haven't decided what noodle you're going to use for your mac and cheese, cavatappi is the best one. It's got the grooves. It's got the extra corkscrew. It's better than the elbow. Go with cavatappi. So I got that all ready to go. And then um, I got my greens in the sink right now ready to soak so I can get those things in the pot with a couple turkey necks. That's so funny, the cavatappi. We actually, on a sports radio show, had like a five-minute conversation on Monday about elbow macaroni's out. You got to use the corkscrew noodle. Let's yep. go. We broke down all the different noodles. All right. You are a freedom fighter for the turkey because there's a lot of people out there who are becoming anti-turkeyers when it yep. comes to Thanksgiving. So tell us why you go with the deep fry. Uh, deep fried turkey, one, you don't have to – you can avoid the brine. You get that injection. So I do a, bur a Cajun bourbon butter injection. The turkeys that I'm going to cook today have already been injected. The turkeys that I'm going to cook tomorrow will be injected. Then you do a light rub on the outside, but you drop those things in the fryer. And we're talking – here's the reality, Cofield. We're talking three minutes a pound. Three minutes a pound. You get your grease up. You get your grease up. I like to get the grease up to about 390. Some They say you fry them at 350. The problem is if you stay at 350, you drop that turkey in, that temperature is going to drop. And then you can end up with a soggy bird or a greasy bird. But if you get it in at 390, it's going to drop down to about 345. And then you can get it back up to 350, 370. And that's how you make that turkey crisp on the outside, juicy on the inside. You lock in the flavor. But the big thing for me, and we've talked about this before, right? Like, if you're – and listen, this is a sports show. Let's relate it to sports. Can you imagine if TCU never practiced, if Ohio State never practiced – and they just showed up expecting to win this weekend. That's what it is. People cook turkey one day a year, and they don't understand why it's not good. You think Steph Curry, if he just walked out and had never shot three-pointers before, he had never practiced shooting from, from, the, from the elbow, or he had never practiced shooting from half court, or never practiced shooting from that, like, 27-foot range. If he had never practiced that, do you think that he would be able to do it? No. And it's the same thing with cooking turkey. It's not that you don't like turkey. It's that the turkey you've had is bad. And it's bad because people don't practice. Guess what? I made turkey stock this week. You know why? Because I had a turkey carcass already in the fridge because I cook turkey more than one day a year. So I'm not, I'm in no rush. I got turkey stock. We're good. Damn. A full takedown of all these people who are <laughs> anti turkeyers. I love it. Michael Felder at In the Bleachers. Uh, you can also uh, find him on the Learfield Podcast family and the Field of 12 podcast so let's see if you can come up with another impassioned defense as strong as that one i saw that clint turner was on the field of 12 this week and he was really getting after lsu yeah saying that he believes lsu is really closer to the team that got whacked by tennessee than the legit number five team in the country i don't think he's wrong i, I like here's the thing like for me they are i think Alabama's not as good as we want them to be and then the other part of it is Brian Kelly's a good coach. Like if we were going to run down the list of coaches, Brian Kelly's, what is he, a top five, top six coach right now in college football? So he's good. And so the big thing for me, I think when they played Tennessee, they didn't know who they were. I think it'd be a different game right now, but especially with Perkins, the, the Perkins kid bubbling up to the surface to go along with B.J. Ojolari. Um, but the reality for me, you look at the Arkansas game, you look at the first, what, quarter and a half of the UAB game, they were 
this is a team that still feels people out. They have to feel people out. It's like a, um, it's like they, they, they've got to put their hands in like, I don't know. I got kids. So they go to these, like, they do these like sensory things where they like go through and touch stuff and see what it is. That's what LSU has to do every single football game because they're still not sure of how good they actually are. The Florida game, they win by 10, uh, but it wasn't them blowing them out. They blow out Ole Miss and then obviously the Alabama game. And then you go into the Arkansas game and it's like, they're like, I don't know. Like, and obviously the field situation was a complete nightmare, but I think that LSU is probably more likely to get blown out by Georgia than they are to win that football game. But we'll see, because Georgia is also a team that doesn't seem like they want to put on the full-court press. Uh, this A&M game this weekend for LSU? Ooh. Like, can A&M – th- let me ask you something. Do you think A&M shows up for this game, or are they completely checked out? I would swear I was going in that direction. I was going to ask you if, if Tamu can get off the deck, if they have any shot to be fired up for this one. They should. For what? Why should they? Spoiler. Spoiler. I mean, at least you put a little carrot in front of them, destroy LSU, ruin their chances. Yeah, but they're like, man, we're not going to a ball game. I'm just ready to go home. I already had to be here over Thanksgiving. Like, I just want to go home. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Brian Kelly doing such a good job coaching because yeah. everyone crushed the guy early in the season. And I saw I that Trevor Knight. I know. I remember you did. I saw that Trevor Knight on the podcast, said that, uh, you know, let's think about this. Three of the, uh, the top six teams in the country, you know, including LSU, plus TCU and USC, all have first-year coaches. Yep. I mean, that, that's a hell of a coaching job. I think that speaks to a couple things. It speaks to the portal. Let's headline Jaden Daniels, right? I also think it speaks to football becoming a, a, a more um, – not egal- egalitarian is not the right word – cohesive, more cohesive language. It's easier to speak football now than it's ever been. Everybody was siloed in their own spaces. And now when you say something to somebody, we understand. Listen, it's sm- they call it something, but you're like, no, it's just smash. We run smash. We got a little stick here, and then we got a guy going to the corner. It's just smash. We call it, you know, P120F, whatever, whatever. But it's just the smash concept. This is mesh, but we call it something different. But just run mesh. Run mesh like you did in high school. And it's the same thing. Just what we'd like to do is have our guy turn up field. So run mesh, and it's okay. So Which is why we're seeing, like, Jane Daniels coming over from Arizona State. We're seeing him succeed with a coach that he's probably never talked to yeah. until he got to, to, to Baton Rouge. So yeah. so I think that, that the, the, the universal language of football is evolving. I think that's a product of, obviously, the transient nature of coaches – like everybody's coach, every coach is taking this job. And I'm not just talking head coaches. I'm talking offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. We're seeing all these guys take over. And then we're also seeing a lot more um, with respect to whether it's YouTube or football coaches insider, a lot of more, a lot more uh, dissemination of like the information is getting spread wide. And so I think that's a reason why TCU was Sonny Dykes. Like Sonny Dykes walks up to Max Duggan and he says, Hey man, we're going to go four verts on this. We're going to go mesh on this. We're going to go smash on this. We're going to run it over here. And Max is like, oh, this is the same stuff that I was doing before. We just call it a different name. I got it. Caleb Williams left. He traveled with his coach. So he didn't have a, even have a language barrier. This is like a guy who, you know, this is like a guy who speaks, you know, he, it's someone who speaks Spanish in Venezuela. And then he goes to Colombia and he's like, oh, this is fine. I can do this. No problem. I already know this. I just got to meet some new people including Jordan Addison, who's been amazing. So I think that's that's been really remarkable, but I'm glad you pointed that out. 
Yeah, it's a lesson for everyone that, especially in the transfer era with quarterbacks and new coaches, it maybe we should all exercise a little patience for the first three, four games of the season. I know no one will remember this next year. Sure. And if someone gets off to a bad start <laughs> with a transfer quarterback, they're going to freaking meltdown. So you just talked about Arizona State. Let's talk about the Pac-12. And I saw on yeah. the Field of 12 podcast that uh, the question was thrown out there. If USC wins out, are they a lock to make the CFP? I believe they should be. Yeah. I don't think they are. Where do you think USC really sits right now with the committee? I think they love them. I mean, what are they? They're sitting at six right now? Yep. Six with two teams, or excuse me, four teams they are going to play each other. Two games. Those two games, somebody's going to be below them. Now, and I don't know. Listen, what if Michigan blows out Ohio State? What if Ohio State blows out Michigan? How far do they drop? Do they go down five spots? Everybody else moves up. Um, Georgia versus LSU. LSU gets three losses. We don't have to worry about LSU at all. They fall down, which means USC is going to move up. So I think they've got an opportunity to move up into that top four. It, but they they have to. They still got to take care of business. And I think that's the part for me that's more the most interesting. So what they need is they need Oregon to win this weekend. They've got to win. I don't, what do we call this game now? Because we don't call it the Civil War anymore. I still call it the Civil War, but I'm not sure what the new okay. name is. So we got Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State's a dangerous football team. and But or, they need Oregon to win because if USC beats Oregon, now we're talking about a team that's got a top, what, top eight win? And then USC will be sitting around there probably at five with a top eight win. So that will give them – that gives them the grace they need to get into the playoff. And, I mean, we've talked about this a million times before you and I – it's a television show. You can't leave out one half of the country. You got to get it. If you can, if you have a chance to get one of the biggest brands in college football with the whole West Coast coming with them, I think that that's important. And it just, I mean, I, I think back, I was in, in, so I didn't get the full experience of this, Cofield. I, um, I was in college when USC was really good. And I can tell you what, when you're playing college football, you're not watching a lot of college football that's not your team. Right. You're you're tired all the time and you're, you know, you're out there chasing tail and 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 having drinks. So you're not watching all of it. The only I only remember watching USC play like three games when I was in college. And it was the USC game, it was the Reggie Bush against Fresno State game. And there was I don't see now I only remember two of them. So but so you're not watching as much. And but I knew that they were good. We all knew they were good because we got the recruit, the highlight tapes and all that stuff, the recruiting tapes for their, from, from the guys that were coming up. And so I just think that if you can get USC in, it's the same with Ohio State. It's the same with, with Alabama. It's the same with Georgia. It's the same with Florida. It's the same with Miami. If Miami had an outside shot, they weren't terrible. They would also be a team that people would want to get in because they like it. Same thing with Notre Dame. And so I think if USC, if they can hold serve, they're going to be in the playoff. Michael Felder's with us. Do you think the Michigan-Ohio State, not the game is being dissed, but respect for both teams is a little less than it should be because I feel like a close loss for one of them, especially Michigan, would leave Michigan out? I don't get it. I think that that's a specific Michigan issue. I don't think that they've been nearly as impressive. This is a team, like, I know they've only given up 112 points on the year, but they've only scored 267 points. And most of the points that they scored are against bad teams. Right. Right. 
So I think that's the interesting part. Like, literally, like I'm looking at it right now, Ohio State scored 100 more points than Michigan this year. Same schedule, basically. 100 more points. And that's with the struggle they had against Northwestern. That's with the struggle from this past weekend. But they were able to get the job done. So I think the key is, and we've talked about this. We talked about it with Georgia. I think Georgia's, they've summited that mountain. I think Michigan still hasn't got over the over that hill. I think that the key is, do you want to score 40 versus do you have to score 40? Georgia doesn't want to score 40, but when they're in a game where they know, like the Tennessee game, they came out firing, all cylinders, ready to go because they thought Tennessee was going to push them into the 40s. Ohio State, obviously, they are – they're I don't know, man, they're hemming and hawing with this trying to force the run. This Dallin um, Hayden guy is going to be really interesting to see because I like him. He's a, he's a different type of weapon. He reminds me a little bit of like um, – uh, Bijan Robinson light, right? Like he's this guy's, you know, you go and you, you can go and pick up your case of Bijan Robinson and you're going to be fully automated. But if you get some of this Hayden guy, you're also, you're going to be okay as the night goes on. Um, I think he, him fitting into this as they deal with the running back injury issues is going to be interesting. I just, I don't think it's disrespect. I think that people wonder if Michigan can actually hold serve. That's the part that's going to be interesting. Can you hold serve? Because, uh, again, the Ohio State scored 100 more points than them in conference games. So that's the same opponents, 100 more points. And then you go back and you look at on the season, they've scored like 80 more points than them. But remember what Michigan's early schedule looked like. Mm -hmm. That's a different world. And so it's been very interesting to watch how this, this is a team that – Michigan's a team that trailed with Rutgers. I know they put points up on the back end, but they were losing at halftime. And then – they very well could have lost the game to Illinois last weekend. I saw Matt Hayes on the podcast said Ohio yeah. State's not as good as the numbers suggest on defense. They don't tackle well. You buy that? No. No. I, did you did you see my face on the podcast? I did, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't I don't buy that at all. They tackle fine. They play a style of defense. And this is the part that I've been trying to impart on people. You and I, we've talked from once Jim Knowles became their defensive coordinator, we've talked about this. This is a defense where it's high risk, high reward. High risk meaning, guess what? You're not always going to tackle Parker Washington, Penn State's best receiver. You're not going to tackle him. He's going he's gonna to make a play. Yeah. And that play is going to go for 65 yards. Why? Because you have 11 guys within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. And you dare them to press you over the top. What you're betting on if you're Jim Knowles, if you're Ohio State, if you're this defense, you're betting on the reality of college football. Most of these guys stink. There's a reason they're not all in the NFL. <laughs> There's a reason why. You know, like we got listen, here's let's be real. You can leave Anthony Richardson, you could have Anthony Richardson from Florida with no pressure, with a wide open guy, and he can still miss him. We've seen it happen. And so I think that's what Ohio State banks on. Yeah, you miss tackles. Everybody misses tackles. That's fine. But when it comes to missing tackles, I'm they're not even in the top 30, top 40 when it comes to games that I watch and I think, man, these guys are bad at tackling. Can South Carolina keep the magic going? Rattler, stay on fire. Can they compete with Clemson and screw over Clemson in the CFP? Oh, what a I mean, that's a huge moment for them. This would make their season. 
Um, by the way, Tennessee, one of those teams that is in that top 40 when it comes to tackling. They're bad at it. Yeah. They don't do it. Um, he, I think South Carolina caught some magic in that game against the Vols. Obviously, they doubled them up, and I know South Carolina, or Tennessee scored late to make it seem like they didn't get doubled up, but you were doubled up for most for the better part of the second half. You were doubled up by the Gamecocks. Rattler looked good. I think Clemson's defense is too good for them to do that to them, and that's the difference. Clemson, one of those teams, again, that would not be in the top 50 of bad tackling. They actually get guys on the ground, and they also have their, their defensive line is, is getting healthy, and that's that should be scary to everyone because they got a lot of really good players up there. So I don't think South Carolina is going to do it. I also think Clemson knows like their backs against the wall to even have a chance to get to the playoff. They have to win this football game. And let's be real. This game's going to give them a little bit of juice. I know South Carolina is not ranked, but man, this is going to give them a little bit of juice to like push because people are like, well, look what they did to Tennessee. Cause if you're, if you're Clemson, you can look at them and say, Hey, Tennessee was number five. We're number eight. When they were number five, they got their behind with. We're number eight. You know what we did? We took care of business, so we should move up. Let's close on this. Uh, first game of the Thanksgiving weekend is the uh, Egg Bowl. Yeah. Mississippi State, Mississippi. Ole Miss is three and a half. Is this the final Ole Miss game for Lane Kiffin? I don't – man. I guess here's – you know what? Here's the question for you. If you've got a place that you work at and they appreciate you and they let you do whatever you want to do uh, via social media, be it, you know, in your job, in your performance, and they appreciate what you give to them, why would you leave for a place that will instantly want more than what you're already offering them? All great questions from normal people, but Lane Kiffin ain't normal. No, but I think I think the key for me with Lane is he's worked in the SEC Tennessee, Alabama, now Ole Miss. He worked at FAU where FAU was like, do whatever you want to do. I just don't think Auburn is a do-whatever-you-want-to-do job. And I think that's hard for a guy who wants – and I say this as someone who just wants to do whatever he wants to do. (laughs) Like, to work for people that try to push you around and make you do stuff and they want this, it's the same reason that it doesn't doesn't work. It's the same reason that Chip Kelly – you think about Chip Kelly. Remember him at, at Oregon. Why did he leave Oregon? To go to the NFL because they were just going to let him do whatever he wanted to do. Because it, at Oregon, he had to do all this booster stuff, this recruiting stuff. all the, And at UCLA, UCLA is – they're like, hey, man, we're going to win We're going to win nine games this year? We're going to win ten games this year? I'm good. Do it. Go play golf. I don't care. So, yeah, I just think that Auburn's – it's not a harder job than every other job. I think AM is in a similar spot. I just think that if you're a person who wants to do things your way and doesn't want to have to answer to people, be like entitled boosters or uh, uh, an overbearing athletic director or um, um, school president, like if you don't if you don't want to have to deal with that stuff, you don't go there. That's the reality. Great answer. Uh, thank you for popping in on a, what is a very busy day. And at In the Bleachers on Twitter, Michael Felder, please send out some photos yes. of one of these deep fried turkeys because I'm looking forward to it to just salivate, just salivate on Thanksgiving Day. I'm telling you, man, there's nothing better than when you inject that bird, you fry that bird, and then when you slice it and you see that vein of just 
season and running through it with a little bit of whiskey and a little bit of butter and you got your kit your yeah texas pete in there it's good to go i'm excited cofield let's do it there he is michael felder our college football insider that'll put a wrap on cofield and company here on this wednesday like i just said to michael felder everyone out in the audience thanks for listening we're thankful for you being with us uh, on most days that's freaking awesome uh coming up in just a little bit we'll have the uh, pregame of unlb basketball playing in the socal challenge against minnesota looking for a tourney championship and a six and zero start running rebel warm-up goes live at seven o'clock and the tip is at 7 30 have a great weekend